Welcome to Narrow Way to Broadway, a podcast for people of faith with a passion for the arts. Each episode is designed to foster community for the thespian and non-thespian and the believer and non-believer alike by navigating topics affecting the hearts, minds, and homes of artists everywhere. Thanks for joining. What's up, NYBWay? This is Emma, and I am so pumped that you decided to join us for the show today. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Erin Ramirez. Erin was last seen on the national tour of Les Miserables, where she was a member of the Ensemble and the Eponine Understudy. Regionally, she was in Spamilton at the Pittsburgh Civic Light Opera, Jersey Boys at Algonquin Playhouse, and Amber in Hairspray at Casey Starlight. She was also seen in Mamma Mia at ACT of Connecticut and in Rock of Ages, Titanic, and The Little Mermaid at RMRT. Offland and on sea, she was seen in the Rhapsody of the Seas production with Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. She's a graduate of the Emerson College Theater Program and is currently signed with the Mine Agency in New York City. Please help me welcome Miss Erin Ramirez. Hey, how's it going? Going so well. So I am just so excited to have you here. Erin is a guest who we have on because of a connection and we're just so excited because God is just like bringing all these amazing voices into this podcast. We're so excited to have you here. Um, so we're just going to dive right on in if that's good for you. Great. So, okay, Erin, tell me a little bit about your background. I know your like upbringing in terms of like moving around a lot was something that's a big part of your story. So I would love to hear a little bit about that. So I was, uh, my, my father's in the, was in the U.S. Army for 30 years. And so that's, that was like my whole childhood. So I did grow up moving to a new place about every three years or so. And um, we spent a lot of time overseas and uh, I would say, okay, so some of those countries, we lived in Germany a lot uh, and then in different areas in Germany. And then we also went to um, South Korea when I was really little. We lived there for a year or two. And then we also lived in um, Georgia, the country, not the state. I always have to specify that. <laughs> and, not um, a- yeah, I know. People are like, Georgia, the country? Oh, you lived in the country of Georgia. Like, the, and I'm like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, the capital city of Tbilisi, Georgia. Yeah. So um, we lived there uh, and we, we bounced back and forth between the U.S. and overseas as well. But anyway, um, all that to say, it was it was really kind of challenging to um, a find a church in places that spoke English. I grew up in a Christian home, so my parents were um, always looking for community in the different places that we lived. And um, so we couldn't really be picky about that. And then also, as far as theater goes, I like I, I told you in our last conversation, I was not a Broadway baby at all. I like had basically whatever was available to me, either singing, acting or dancing. I would just take advantage of that. And it was always kind of changing. And I I um, kind of always did whatever show my international school was doing or if there was um, a like any kind of school choir I would do that but it was super informal and all over the map and I didn't even know what it was called really until I was looking for colleges and I was like oh okay so the combination of what I love to do I guess is called musical theater (laughs) I probably should learn some musicals and so that's when I kind of got plugged into musical theater but before then it was just a sort of hodgepodge of singing acting and dancing as separate things 
Yeah. And even with like singing, acting and dancing separately with moving around so much, I think it's interesting because a lot of people, when you say, you know, I grew up in a Christian home, it's like there's kind of this implication that you grew up in a home that just like went to church. And that didn't necessarily mean that like you had to sacrifice a whole lot to do that. So Mm -hmm. I remember you saying that, you know, your your family's pursuit of church because of all the different places you all lived was not like convenient or necessarily cultural everywhere you went. Right, right. And and church always looked different. And we never really had the option of being able to choose a church based on feel or whether or not we liked the music or it was just like bare minimum, like if they spoke English and if they preached the gospel, then that's where we went to church. And um, it just it kept kept me from really holding a firm grip on denomination, I think, like, and really knowing the bare bones of, of the gospel. And, um, that's not to say I was like this perfect Christian child (laughs) all my life. I definitely was drugged to church in every different place we lived for a while. Um, but, but I definitely, um, I did not grow up in a culture where it was necessarily cool to be Christian. You know, I oftentimes was the only Christian in my class at school or, you know, like especially in international schools or, you know, different things like that. It was not the cool thing for sure. So you had these loves of singing, dancing and acting that were all separate. And then you found musical theater as something you could study in college. So tell me a little bit about, you know, that that university experience. Yeah. So I love my school. I went to Emerson College in Boston um, and it was recommended to me when I was applying, um, you know, halfway across the country in Georgia. I was recommended to me by a kindergarten teacher um, who loved who loved theater. And she was like, have you ever thought about Emerson College in Boston? And at the time, I was such a snob. I was like, I'm only going to New York. What are you talking about? But I um, <laughs> but I, I went there and visited and I looked and they gave me like wonderful financial aid. Um, and so I was just like, uh, really, really excited about it because it had a smaller class size and um, and it just it felt really good to be on the campus. And so I, I ended up going there and I found out later than I went when I when I went there that it was um, probably like the least Christian college I could have picked. Um, <laughs> like you know, which which I um, I'm really grateful for that experience too because I. I, in a way, almost felt kind of at home with being around people who were all very different from me. But um, but it was definitely like I, I learned a lot about the humanity of people who believe different things than me and um, just how sometimes people who aren't believers are kind of sometimes the sweetest, nicest people in, and are even kinder than myself. And I learned from them. So uh. I um, I definitely had to um like learned a lot in that way and then also for myself I had to own my faith in in regards to like okay am I going to really find a church and find community and dig deep in my faith and my relationship with God or is this something that my parents just made me do so I I um had to like I I didn't just go with the current when it came to um college and and my faith I had to sort of like make a decision and own it for myself and so yeah, I found a wonderful church and um, some some friends, uh, few and far between at Emerson who also um, were Christians and and we would sort of build each other up. And I had some really big um, maturing m- moments there, I think, in my relationship with God at Emerson. Yeah. And then what year did you graduate? 
I graduated in 2016. Okay, amazing. And I, your resume is like truly stacked. You've gotten to work at some <laughs> amazing places. I think our oh, listeners thanks. heard your bio probably before this because I have to record it. But um, so tell us about that. Tell us about kind of exiting college, like having this newfound, like foundational choice that you've made of like, okay, this is actually something that I am pursuing as a believer. Like, mm-hmm. how did you, how was that experience? Yeah, I think I, I think when I was in college and I sort of, I, and I came across the, like, I went to a big city and I was studying in this field. I think I began to really realize the, the uh, separation between the world of the arts and like the world of Christianity kind of. And like, and, um, and I felt like definitely a calling on my heart to reconcile um, the, like the artist world to Jesus kind of um, and to like help bridge those gaps. And so for me, the ways that I had decided, I think I wanted to do that was like to um, really be excellent for Jesus. So like to, to do my best to make excellent work um, for God, for the glory of God and, and always acknowledging him in, in everything that I did and every like success that I got so that people in the industry um, could know that it was possible to like, have a relationship with Jesus that's personal and like active in your life, I guess. And also for me, it's um, really about encouraging younger artists who don't know that it's a possibility to, to um, have a like relationship with the Lord and pursue this crazy dream um, for his glory. I think that, yeah. And, and especially for, you know, people who, who don't, I don't know. I think everybody has a different calling as, as to like what, where, the what shows I think they're being called to or like what their own convictions say about what they choose to do but um but I definitely think that there's so much room for um that like for for God's glory to be shared even in a show like Rock of Ages or like you know like I I just like I just really want to encourage uh young Christian artists to like open up their minds and be able to see Jesus and every situation when it comes to this field um yeah what a weird tangent I just sort of went on but yeah I was just gonna say like I I was just gonna say like so that that was sort of like a mission statement I think when I was going into the professional world is is to glorify God with my own career and then also to um and and like you know share the gospel with people who are in my uh circles of shows and then also encouraging young believers who I knew I knew are interested in the arts Yeah. Cause I think, I think I would love to hear just, cause I think that there are a lot of people and probably a lot of people listening to this podcast thinking, you know, I have this calling and to like expand the kingdom. Like that's my calling. And then I also have this passion and this excitement for the arts. And I know in my mind and in my heart that I need to like, you know, it says in scripture, like in whatever you do, word or deed, do it all for the glory of God. But I would love to just hear like, how tangibly have you seen like, how does that manifest? Because sometimes I'm like, I want to do this for the glory of God. I'm like, what does that mean? Does that mean like just, you know, like raising my hand at the end of my bow and like acknowledging him? Or does this mean like conversation? Or what does that look like, like practically for you when you're thinking of like, I want to do my art for God's glory? Yeah. I mean, I I think there are a couple ways. Like, 
that there's those practical ways like you like use your voice to sing worship use your voice to sing for his glory um whether you know informally just like in you know when when your family's like jamming out to worship music or like or if you're like recording a little you know cover for you it's just like it's just really I think powerful when when people who are good at singing like share their voice and glorify God with their voice so I think like worship is a big one and then also um like the same voice that you sing like you're like show tune songs is the same voice that like sings God's praises and then also um you know I love a good like Jesus shout out in your in your bio it doesn't mean it doesn't like it's words yes but it also is like it's so encouraging when you're sitting in a Broadway show and you look at a playbill and you read like this actor's bio that you really admire and they're like giving glory to God for their performance and success um so that's one and then also man like in the like if you think about how much time you spend with your people when you're on a show it's just like there's so many opportunities um and there's so many I don't know like I fail so much at this like at at times when you know people will compliment me or something like that and like and I I feel like I need to like deflect it or something and like and and I think like one of my favorite things I've ever heard, it was like on a podcast with um this uh, girl from Hillsong. I forget her name, but she was talking about how she gets um every compliment that she gets throughout the day. She like receives it like a flower that someone's giving her and she she accepts the flower and keeps all of them in this little bouquet in her back pocket. And then at the end of the day, she like offers the bouquet to God, like and gives it to him and, and, and like thanking him for you know, giving her all of those qualities to begin with. So I kind of like, I want to be able to do that better. And then I also think, you know, when you're really, I don't know, like, I think, I think when you're on a show, it's not the really great behavior that gets, that gets people to like wonder what's different about you. I think it's um, the broken times where you uh, are obviously going through something but they see you reaching out to God you know like some of my darkest times I'm like people know that something's like off with me but they see me like in the dressing room at intermission reading my bible or like playing worship music and I'm such a freak like jumping up and down in my (laughs) and like trying to like dancing it out like um but but yeah I and that I mean that's like kind of a segue into my time on the ship which we can um also talk about I worked on a Royal Caribbean ship um my like kind of first uh year out of college and I developed an eating disorder and it was really it was really really (laughs) um hard I think um to give up this like perfect persona that I had to my fellow cast members of um what who I was and so when suddenly I like totally lost myself um I I think I was a greater witness because they like saw me reading my bible and and asking God for help and and um like relying on him and and in 
and I, I don't know. I think that like that kind of, that kind of like running to God as a refuge in times of trouble, it makes people feel like, oh, like, oh, I don't have to be like all together, put together for this God. Um, you know, he came for the broken. And so, so yeah, that I think is like one of the stronger things that you can do because if you're like telling someone about the gospel and you're acting like your life is all together, then it really doesn't give the gospel much power. Um, and so I think, yeah, being just like honest with people <laughs> is really good. Yeah. Yeah. I was excited to chat with you about your time just because again, like I just think your story and this is so powerful. And I think that's so many people like, especially in our industry deal with these issues. You know what I mean? Like, I think that the enemy has such a stronghold on our industry when it comes to body image and when it comes to just our own image of ourselves, because that's essentially our business. Um, and so, yeah, I would just love to hear even kind of before you were in this time of like being a witness to these people on the ship, like what, what drove you into developing this eating disorder? Like what, what, what were the things that contributed to this? Um, well, I think it was something that was sort of under the surface um, for me for a long time. And when I went on board to the ship, I like we do, like was trying to get my ducks all in a row and be like, okay, God, like I know that people struggle with depression on ships sometimes, so I'm not going to drink. I'm going to like fast from drinking to keep myself out of trouble with like boys and stuff. And I'm just going to like, <laughs> I'm going to like control myself and like, you know, but um, I also asked God that he would give me life experience and like uh, that he would that he would sort of scoop, scoop bad things out of me in my time on the ship. And boy, did he do that? Like, I, um, I think that whole time was just like something that was under the surface that needed to just come out. Um, and I'm so grateful that was uncovered because it was kind of just chipping away at me from the inside for a long time. But, um, but yeah, I think the, the sort of big kickoff moment that I always remember is like one of the, one of the bosses at the bosses one of the people that tell me what to do at um royal caribbean like told our singing group of four you know you guys sound amazing but we just want you to look as good as you sound so girls slim down guys bulk up and um that's just like that's i mean i'm sure we hear that all the time but for some reason my first job out of college that just really resonated with me so i i just worked tirelessly for that goal for them to make them happy and to make them think that I took the job seriously and so I um I'm not going to get into a lot of details just because I know that sometimes for me details from hearing other people's stories were triggering so I don't want to trigger I don't want to trigger anybody but um but I did feel like that was the way that I could move towards my dreams was to make myself smaller um so so yeah I I did not have a, you know, I did not stop eating per se, but I did uh, have orthorexia, which is considered like an obsession with only clean foods, foods that you deem clean, and then also um, an exercise addiction that, that accompanied that, trying to sort of negate anything that I would eat. And that kind of evolved into like um, a binge restrict cycle. And then, yeah. So, so um, what was so weird was my castmates were the ones that drew it to my attention and said that like 
if if you don't like if you if you keep shrinking your body like if you keep doing this we're gonna have to like contact management and you might have to go home um because it was getting to the point where i was um it was affecting my well first of all my costumes but also i was having a hard time climbing stairs and like getting breath to sing and yeah so it was um it was just like finally all kind of clear that there was a problem and then and then that was the same week that my family came to the ship when it sort of was uncovered it was the the first day of my family's vacation on the ship the only vacation they had on the ship to visit me was the day that my dance captain brought it to my attention and so that whole week was me and my family wrestling through what to call this thing that I was experiencing and we didn't call it an eating disorder for a long time just because um it's sort of like taboo I think in the Christian world to like name a mental disorder um and and it's hard to believe I bet for a parent that your child is suffering from any kind of mental illness or disorder and um and so it was just like all of the things that were undercover, I think, in the week that my family was there just totally surfaced. And um, I was just crying all the time about, like, bread and, like, things like, you know, and um, and the the terror of feeling hungry to me and the terror, even worse, of feeling full. And so I just, I, yeah, I had like major demons in, in spiritual warfare over my life during that time. And um, yeah, so, so then after that, um, my parents helped me begin um, paying for, for a uh, nutritionist to talk with over, um, over FaceTime and blog my meals for my refeeding process. And honestly, I got most of my information from um, when on the ship we would port and I would download resources off of the internet um, and videos and stuff for recovery and, you know, like um, what, like just research on what was happening to me. And, you know, there's no therapy on the ship and the doctors were very ill equipped to deal with that kind of thing. And so it was, um, yeah, it was it was pretty nasty and pretty weird. And also, like, here's just like a fun fact. When you when you are refeeding after an eating disorder, your bowels are just <laughs> like you your bowels are so inflamed from processing all this new food that you didn't have for a while. So like shout out to my roomie who dealt with my insane flatulence that whole time of refeeding she got she she like showed up one day with this like um air freshener like plug-in machine and was just like i love you girl but we need this um so yeah so that happened wow Um, god bless her i know she yeah yeah she's the best i love that and i think that one thing (laughs) i love that um that's just so that is again so powerful about your story is going back to what you said about family, like dealing with mental illness and how there's this stigma of it in like Christian circles. I think that is so true, but also paired with the fact that, and I don't know if this is everyone's experience, but I feel like my experience growing up, like especially in college, like in preparing me for, you know, post-university life, 
it was almost glorified of like, especially mm-hmm. the older generations of theater of like, yep, I was poor and I ate rice for every meal, but like, at least I was working. And it was like mm-hmm. almost glorified to be this thing of like, you, if you can sacrifice your body, you can sacrifice anything for your yeah. art. And it's like, wait, what? So I feel like that paired with the fact that we're not allowed to talk about it or supposed to talk about it within Christian circles and you dealing yeah. with both of these is like, wait, what, what? Like yeah. confusing mixed messages. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and um I realized pretty soon that like it is a it is a it's a corporate machine um run by people who, you know, they're they have a vision for what they want um their shows and their product to look like and stuff like that. But you you have to look out for yourself as a human being and sometimes the these the goals that these you know it's it's like a it's like a machine like the goals of these machines is not for you to flourish as a human so you have to make sure that you're in check with with your own like okay I'm not gonna like sell out my life to their goal because that literally for me was going to end in death if I were to like like follow it like that um but but yeah, flourishing human like that that sounds very like I don't know. Um self idolizing, which is I for me that wasn't like that. It was more about like um embracing God's purpose and vision over my yeah. life rather than rather than um the world. Big time. Right. So tell me, I remember when we talked you said that you had a lot of really sweet moments with God on the ship in particular related to this kind of ministry that he put in your life with like some like people that kind of sometimes had nothing to do with performance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, honestly, like the time on the ship for me was God blessed my ministry um, in making disciples the most than, than in my whole life. It's just so amazing how he will use the, the time in your life that is the most broken and, and where you feel the most far off and he'll draw near and use you for big things because you can't, you can't give yourself glory for that. Like it, it, it has to be directed to him because you know how weak you were during that time. So for me, that was, that was mostly in, in, in regards to the, cruise ship the the crew fellowship group that we had um that was we would meet at 11 p.m thursday nights and it was because the wait staff people had double shifts every single day and the only time they had free was when they were supposed to be asleep pretty much so the only time that we could meet was was late late at night and it was not cool to go praise god at that time it was cool to either get a drink and relax with your friends or go to bed. And that's what most people did. But for the few people that just like actually really relied on God with their whole heart, they were in there in that training room with us at 11 PM. And, and, um, the first night it was, um, I ran from my show. I still had pin curls in my hair and like full beat. And I like ran to my show or ran from my show across the ship to this training room. And there were three guys in there, one from Mauritius, the island, one from the Philippines and one from Brazil. And they were just like, are you lost? And I was like, I'm here for church. And they were like, oh my gosh. So they, um, they, those guys and I, um, we had our own first little mini service there together where we prayed together and we sang worship. One of them had a guitar. And so we sang like old school Hillsong songs that you like haven't heard from since you were like, 
I don't know, 13. And, um, and so we sang and, um, we prayed that God would multiply our group. And I prayed specifically that he would bring women and fast forward. We had like an average of like 20, 25 people coming and, um, yeah. And we had a, and then there was one day specifically where I got so emotional because when we were singing, it was like mostly female voices. And it was, it was, um, a lot of women who had come and, um, and also we, uh, my family with the, our like military history, we had friends who lived in Vincenza, Italy, and, um, it was, a, a military pastor guy. And so he drove to Venice, which was our port on Saturdays with a box of army Bibles, like NIV Bibles, because they only had like two new King James Bibles on the ship. And so he brought all these NIV Bibles and, um, and they're still, you know, in various places in Rhapsody of the Seas cruise ship and like in people's possession. But, but yeah, these, these Bibles and, um, we brought those on and just kind of gave them out to whoever wanted them. And we had them for our, our, um, fellowship times. And then I also started a, um, a women's Bible study that I called daughters of the King. And we, um, it was like a United nations of women. Like it was just like, I was the only, um, English as a first language person. And, um, it was girls from like Ukraine, China, Philippines, Brazil, like, um, Africa, you know, so like different places, I forget where, but, um, we, we all would share kind of like our country's way of worship too. Like, so I learned a bunch of different kinds of worship songs and we went through first, second and third John together. And eventually there were guys who happened to be guys. It was just other people who wanted, um, a separate Bible study during the day. And so I ended up leading a mostly, male bible study during the day of guys um just it was supposed to be co-ed but it just happened to be a bunch of guys and um so that those were kind of a thing and um people just sort of like knew me as like someone who would pray for them in the middle of the big hallway um to get around the ship and just stop and you know pray for their wife who had cancer or pray for their sick baby or you know different things like that and so um, it was a real like old school church vibe in that training room of like people who um, would pray together over like, you know, each other's demons um, and and worship together. And they would we'd have a d- different person share each week. And I gave my first sermon ever. <laughs> and um, and so it was it was super powerful. And like God would speak to me through these people in just crazy, crazy ways. And, and, um, one of them, I told you this, one of this guy, one of these guys that was from, um, I think Guatemala or some Spanish speaking country, um, in, um, I think he was in like the cleaning department. He came and, um, he, he saw me at the mess and was like, you look really sad. Like, I think I want to pray for you for healing for you. And, um, and he said, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to, uh, anoint you with oil or pray with oil. And I was like, huh? Like what? I've never had that done to me before. And he said, it's okay. Look at it. And he wrote down different passages in the Bible where they talk about praying and anointing with oil. 
um, for healing. And so I was like, oh, okay. So he, he shows up in front of my cabin door with a Gatorade bottle of oil, like olive oil or something. And, and he, he puts, he puts some on my forehead and then he gets down on his knees with his hands on my feet and just prays in Spanish and just this weeping, praying in Spanish, um, for me. And I, I was just like, it was just otherworldly. Uh, and, and the presence of the Holy Spirit was just so um, rich, I think, in that moment. And um, yeah. I love that. And and it's so cool to see how, again, like these insanely powerful encounters with the Lord are happening at the same time. Like you said, you're dealing with what feels like the most like flesh and mental weakness mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you've dealt with. And I remember you told me another story about we're like walking up to the yeah so so i was um i was doing my regular morning routine of like i ate a little bit of breakfast and i was gonna run up the stairs um like 10 flights to go to the gym and i um was going up the stairs and this guy who was um he was a part of my like safety team uh one of the oh gosh like i literally have blocked out all the lingo from my memory but it was like when you when you board the ship and muster station leader muster station he was like on my muster station and so anyway he's this guy from jamaica that i barely ever talked to and he sees me on the stairs and he was like aaron where are you going uh and i said oh i'm going up to the gym he was like oh come ride the elevator with me and i was like uh, no no I like to walk and he was just like Aaron come on please come ride come ride with me I've missed you and I was like okay fine so I go down and I get in the elevator with with him and he puts up he presses the button and he just looks at me and he says um why are you always taking the stairs all the time like you're perfect just the way you are stop crucifying yourself and I just remember like what like and this guy's not even a Christian. And he, he just like said these words that just really just like struck me of just of like, stop crucifying yourself. And then, and then he said, uh, you're, you're beautiful just the way you are. I wouldn't change a single thing about you except your name to make it my name, which was sort of like a little funny, like joke, but it was, it was so Jesus of like, if you think about Jesus wanting to say like, I've missed you come ride with me and, and stop crucifying yourself. And I wouldn't change a thing about you except your name to make it my name. And I just felt the Lord wanting to, wanting to, um, wanting me to embrace my status as his daughter, as his family member. And, and gosh, like I, it was like, I did not want to accept God's sacrifice payment for me. And I would rather do it myself and make myself suffer because I deserved it, you know? And so that was like a huge spiritual underlying issue. I think with like, God, I know that I can't measure up to your standards and I know that I don't have what it takes. And so maybe if I just focus on this one way of like being and like punishing myself kind of that I'll finally be worthy. But it's like, he's like, no, stop crucifying yourself. Like, I've already, I've already done it and you're free and you're already in my family. And, and that was like, it's, it's almost painful to accept that, that, you know, um, yeah, there were so many stories in scripture that really, really resonated in my heart during that time. Like one of them was the guard, um, who was the Philippian jailer who in acts was like, 
watching Paul and his his guys like in the prison and when he felt like they got out um when the earthquake happened like when he felt like they got out he was like about to kill himself and then Paul was like no do not harm yourself and um I just felt like that's like that was like the voice of God speaking through Paul and and um how when we feel like we you know we failed it's like like this is like I deserve this like I deserve the the pain of this disorder um yeah and and it's just like god is saying like no don't harm yourself like and and gifts us with um further purpose and like yeah so anyway yeah freedom hello yeah so that is so i just get chills (laughs) i've literally heard the story before sitting here like weeping like with Uh, I just love it. So, wow. Okay. So, I mean, I guess flash forward, like that the ship was right after graduation. So now, you know, you've worked at other places and you're kind Mm -hmm. of in this process of healing and um, kind of, I don't know, what has that looked like for you of kind of, you know, deboarding the ship, entering healing and entering into new, you know, new industry opportunities yeah, well, and my, um, stuff like so, that. So on the ship, my my predominant recovery that I was able to start accomplishing was physical recovery. And so I would say the last thing to go is mental recovery. So if you know anyone who is in, you know, what looks like a normal sized body or even a bigger body, and they say that they're wrestling with an eating disorder, please do not say you don't look like you have an eating disorder because eating disorders come in all shapes and sizes. And, um, for me, I had the mental area of healing that had to be next. So for me, when I came back to my house uh, in Kansas after coming off the ship, I uh, was really, really digging deep in spiritual and mental healing for a while, and then um, and 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 had some wonderful prayer ministry. Like if it, I really, really recommend that to anyone who is like um, really wrestling with something, if you're if you're uh, meeting with a therapist and getting medication, that is great. Like I also have a therapist and uh, who specializes in eating disorders and medication um, that is super helpful. But I also think the spiritual realm is, should be equally acknowledged. And so I had wonderful people who led me in prayer ministry to go back and ask Jesus, like, where were the times that I believed lies? And what do you have to say about those times? Where were you in those times? And like, literally heal like the holy spirit will heal your mind and heal um the 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 false beliefs that you know had been planted um in your past so definitely for me that was a big a big thing that needed to happen and god revealed me real revealed to me like so many amazing visions and things to help heal me but then anyway i I got a couple nudges to go to New York for auditions and for um, agent um, kind of like singing nights. And so I first the first couple times I just visited and then I and then I figured out that it was just going to be cheaper for me to finally make the move and double up my friend's apartment and, you know, figure out how to be a New Yorker. And so that is when I moved to New York was like the the audition season after I got back from the ship. And then um, I really, really hustled as a non-union, no-agent individual uh, for a long time. And then I finally got a representation with the mine, and I finally got um, a job where 
I could get my card. The first audition I ever did back after my eating disorder was the one that I got at KC Starlight and that was for Amber and Hairspray and that was the, the job where I'd get my equity card. So it was literally the audition where I felt the weakest and the most afraid <laughs> and God got me that job through that. Um, And so then I um, was able to do, you know, another whack at audition season and um, I did Jersey Boys and um, Mamma Mia and I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah, I got I got Spalton in Pittsburgh and that was super, super fun. I was telling you because um, being the only gal in the show, it was just like there was this freedom to not like compare myself to other women's bodies and like and not like stress about being a, a chorus girl that looked exactly like the girl next to me. And, you know, I felt like I could just be big and funny and take up space and um i wish we felt like that as women when we were together like so interesting that like the contracts you had after you know like kind of continuing this healing were amber and hairspray which is a show about yeah. that shaming like yeah, literally, literally. And healing and yeah. then just like a show when you got to be around like people you just could you know not care with yeah well okay so i was telling you also like amber was so funny because I would just have to say these horrible lines. And also it was so funny because I was like, I am not pretty. I can't play Amber. I'm not pretty. And and I'm, I'm like, I'm not skinny though. And I um I had a really, really great um lady who played my mom, who's just like a phenomenal actress as well as person. And she was just like, your job is not to be pretty in this role as an actor. Maybe Amber thinks it is, but that's not your job. Like your job is to be funny. You know, like your job is to, is to like make people laugh. That's literally this show, you know? So it's like, so she was like, um, she gave me that. And I was just like, Oh, like, and then I, I kind of was able to like laugh at the lines because they were so terrible and they were the things that I would say to myself. And it was just like, and hearing and hearing the roars of the audience laughing, some of the things at some of the things I would say, or like at my character's demise, yeah. like I just, I, it helped heal. It helped heal my eating disorder a little bit. And it felt like they were kind of laughing at my eating disorder. And it felt like, it felt like the, you know, with Tracy winning, like girl in a bigger body winning, it was like, oh, like I felt like me winning over my eating disorder kind of. So it's just, it's just funny how like God works and, and gives us those things to face. And I was terrified to show up in rehearsals and tell everybody that I was playing Amber because I just did not believe that I looked like an Amber or that my, you know, body fit, you know, being an Amber. So anyway, that was just like, that was a big, that was a big move. Um, and yeah. And then you did, and then most, re I think most recently, yeah, you were on the Lame Is tour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. I, um, I replaced one of my friends from Emerson actually on the tour and I understudied Eponine and I was in the ensemble featured as the sick whore. Fine. So yeah, so I definitely did a lot of coughing before, <laughs> it, was, before it was cool, you know. <laughs> Um, and, uh, <laughs> and so anyway, I, um, yeah, I, you know, and what's so crazy in regards to like also the body image thing is I thought being a part of a cast full of women who were, you know, hired to act and sing and be strong and healthy. I, you know, in all of their different shapes and sizes, I thought that there would be no 
body shaming or diet talk or like fat phobia in the dressing rooms but there was there always is because we live in a society that thrives on it and so um and a business that thrives on it so i i had um you know i had some hard times like just in my own mind of being like wait am i right like am i am i stupid for like not dieting anymore and not um not trying to hate myself anymore is that wrong you know because other people around me are doing it still and like they're trying to earn their cookie and like i'm i i'm like for me it's healthy to eat the cookie like right. <laughs> you know right. so i i just um you know again it does not depend it, i mean it's it's not about the size of the body everyone's minds are in a different place and i just i just wished for all of those girls and for myself when i when I when I'm not able to do it, that we would just love and appreciate our bodies exactly as they are right now, and not love the version of them that we're trying to make them be. Uh, I I think that there's this weird thing too that the enemy does is like he totally convinces us that we are just alone in it when we literally see it and experience it every day. So uh, before we wrap up, I kind of just would love to hear. I mean, I have no doubt that we have some you know, listeners or people that might encounter this podcast that might be struggling with something like this and maybe they know the Lord or maybe they don't, but I just would love mm-hmm. to hear kind of an, like a word from the, or for them from you about just about anything. Like it doesn't have to be about the um, yeah. struggles, but just, I don't know, like advice or encouragement because it's just, I think it, it consumes a lot of our industry. Yeah, I definitely really would recommend for anybody who, whether they have an eating disorder or they feel like they are not at peace with food, I recommend the book Intuitive Eating um, by two girls I don't remember the names of that I should know because I love their book and I love anytime they are on a podcast or, you know, anything like that. And and um, once you read the book, there's, you know, there's a list of uh, on the website, you can look at a list of licensed intuitive eating therapists who can or dietitians. Oh, wow who can um who are who are versed in intuitive eating and are going to help you recover um not in a way that restricts your food intake or further perpetuates your diet mentality so for 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 me that was huge in my recovery is is um, meeting with an intuitive eating dietitian um gosh one of the best things that that anybody ever did for me when i was sick and struggling was to tell me was to hug me and tell me that it 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 was okay um and that happened when i was with um a family friend in venice uh who lived in venice and we were at a coffee shop together and their daughter had just had an eating disorder and the mom knew exactly exactly where i was and what was happening and they were all ordering cappuccinos and she saw me almost in tears at the cash register over whether or not to order a cappuccino or an americano because I was afraid of milk and um and she hugged me she just came up to me and looked me in the eyes and hugged me and said like it's okay like it's okay whatever you do whatever you choose it's okay you know um and so that's like just what I want to say to you is it's okay and um gosh like every time every time you go to the battle of eating or you know 
movement or whatever it is that's like next, the next right thing for you to do, just ask the Holy Spirit. If you, you know, if you love the Lord, if you know Jesus, ask the Holy Spirit for his will to be done and not yours. Because for me, my my will was slightly tainted and my will um, had been scribbled over by the enemy and by my disorder. And I was not caring for myself. And so I had to obey a God who did care about me and did love me and do what he wanted me to do, even though it felt like not what I wanted to do. Um, so, so I would definitely just like ask the Holy Spirit what he wants for you because sometimes when we're in that place we are not the most reliable source of information totally that's so good well wow well thank you so much Erin for being on the show and just for sharing your heart I know that that isn't always easy that sharing your story can sometimes you know it's not it's not always easy it's messy and it's painful and it's sometimes feels gross but um Gosh, I just, I can't help but think that God is just going to do some really cool things using your stories. So thank you so much for um, coming on. Hopefully you'll be hearing from us soon about some crazy story that God did through this episode of the podcast. But um, (laughs) yeah, you are amazing and we will talk to you soon. Yeah. Yeah, Thank you so much, Emma. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Narrow Way to Broadway podcast. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe. We release new episodes the first and third Monday of the month. For more information on what we're up to, follow us on Instagram at InwayBWay.